0: Uh, Today we are going to be going straight into Romans. Um, I'm excited about this study. I've been wanting to do it for quite a while now. Usually whenever I uh, go to a book, um, I'll kind of start at the very beginning. Uh, But but Romans is a little different for me because I kind of want to know why Paul wrote it. We don't really have a whole lot of Of reasons why he wrote it. It's not expressly stated. You may know a lot about Romans and not even know it. In fact, there's a lot of um, tweetable quotes from Romans. A lot of you probably know some of these scriptures. If you do uh, and you don't really know where they're from, just remember these are the the, the scriptures from Romans. So, uh, for example, you've got one of the most famous ones, which is, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then you have, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to fast forward through a few. Uh, there's no condemnation. That's a good one from Romans. Uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, we know that in God works in all things uh, for the good of those who love him, who have been called. This is one of my favorites. Neither height nor depth, nor angels, demons. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, that's a great one. Let's let's read this one together. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. And then here's one. This is probably one of Paul's most famous, uh, I would say, declarations of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to, to the Gentile. Uh, there is There is... A lot to to go through in Romans. We're only going to do this in six weeks, so we're not going to hit everything. But what I like to do is I like to figure out who's Paul writing to? You know, what is he trying to say? Who is his audience? You know, what's his, his, his connection to these people? And Shelly will tell you whenever we're watching a Netflix show, one of the things I like to do is read through the episodes just so that I won't be surprised at anything. If a character's going to die, I want to know pretty quick. You know, I don't want to get too invested. Uh, So I'll kind of read through till the very end. And she's like, stop it. Stop reading to the end. But in Romans, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start at the end so that we'll get an idea as to who the audience was that Paul is writing to. So turn in your Bibles. And by the way, we have Bibles in the pew pockets now. Um, Turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 16. Bless you. This text in Romans is rich. And there are, it's, it's dense, and, and I would love to be able to get to, any, to everything. But, but we're going to rest here over the next several weeks. And so when in Rome, we're just going to act like we're the Roman audience here. Going to listen and read it for the very first time. What I want to encourage you to do is if you uh, are able, and that's pretty much everybody, read Romans, read this entire letter throughout this next month, okay? I would love it if you could just take a chapter a day, knock it out, in half a month, you can do that. Uh, just read through it for yourself, and don't just rely on what I'm saying. Read it for yourself, and kind of let the words start seeping in to you. Now, as we, pre- as we prepare to get to 16, I wanted to kind of set up what's happened here. Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. Um, really, I, I just there was fear involved, so he expels everybody. A lot of them go east. They go to Greece, they go to Jerusalem, the Holy Land and beyond. Uh, a couple of these people were Priscilla and Aquila. You know uh, about them from Acts chapter 18. They are friends and co-workers with Paul. And um, Priscilla and Aquila were were Jews from Rome. And they are now over, uh, you know, in, in exile with Paul. They're co-workers along with Paul. Uh, he met them in Sincrea whenever... Uh, I don't know if you met them there, but they were together in Sancreia whenever Paul gets all of his hair shaved off. Cool story, go and read it. Um, So another, uh, so many different types of people are working alongside Paul. You have Jews, and now he's incorporating some Gentiles into his ministry. So this is radical, radical stuff that Paul's doing. Uh, Claudius dies, and then the exile, this uh, hostility towards the Jews, it's still there. But it's lessened a little bit, so a lot of the Jews start returning back to Rome. And these small groups, these groups of believers that these Jewish uh, families, Jewish people left, whenever they come back, now the church has grown. But it doesn't really look like the church they left. You know, I, I guess you could say it's kind of like you know, the world pre-COVID. You know? Now it looks a lot different than it did before it happened. And it's a little uncomfortable in some way, shape, or form. So they're returning back, and they're going back into their regular towns, and they're getting involved with some of these believers. Uh, just remember, the the church in Rome at this point isn't huge. The church in Rome is maybe 7 to 11 house churches, maybe 30 to 50 people each, not much. but But when you think of the power of these words, that is lived out through that group of people and, and how it's grown so amazingly, God can do a lot with just a few. So we're going to start with uh, Romans 16. We're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to prepare you now. There's a lot of names, but they are important names. At, at this point in the world, a lot of the culture was anonymous. So when you hear a name, pay attention to it because they're important people to the faith. All right, let's go ahead and go to the very first one. It says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So this chapter begins with Paul introducing Phoebe to the believers in Rome, tells them to welcome her. Now, Phoebe is described as two words here, diaconon and prostatis. Uh, one is used for deacon or servant, and the other one is used for helper or patron or benefactor, similar to the idea of what bishops did. They provided for people, helped them, etc. So she's from the church in Sincrea, which is a suburb of Corinth. So Paul probably met her there. We don't know specifically, but it's so close. And Paul had a, he's in Corinth a while. So they probably knew each other. Um, It uh, it might have been her, even, who financed that church, kind of helped that church get and do and provide for for widows and and orphans. And and it is highly likely that she's the letter carrier uh, of Romans for Paul, uh, since she's the very first one mentioned. Now, on that day, correspondence was complicated. They didn't have a, a mail system that was, you know, as cheap as ours is today. And I don't mean cheap as in worthless. I just meant, you know, still it's relatively simple and doesn't cost that much to send a letter. Back then, it wasn't that easy. You know, if you wanted to send a letter, you had to do some research. And if you wanted to pay a lot, you could do it through official Roman channels. But if you wanted to just send something personal, you would find somebody heading in that direction. Uh, of wherever your destination is it may get there it may not or what you do is you probably do what Paul did and that that is you hire somebody or someone says I'll do it and I'll I'll finance the whole thing and this is what we think uh, Phoebe was and talk about courage man you know a boat trip was about five days from there has its own complications and danger Uh, a trip by land could have taken a month or more and that was dangerous in a lot of other ways so so Phoebe, along with her entourage, uh, did this. We don't know exactly how she did it, but, but she arrived, and that was pretty courageous. When a letter was carried to a church, by the way, um, it wasn't just given to them and said, okay, y'all read it, see ya. Right? The letter carrier was typically coached by the author to read this letter to the congregation. He would coach this, this uh, letter carrier in inflection, he would coach them in pauses, how to say things exactly like he would say them and um, mannerisms, purpose, inflection. And and so it's highly likely that in this case, because Phoebe's the first one to be mentioned that how she probably was the one who actually read the letter to the house churches in Rome as well. Uh, the goal was to read the letter and then to have several copies made, distributed throughout the churches in Rome, which was not cheap uh, Twenty-five hundred dollars in, in in our money would's probably how much each copy cost. So if you have seven to eleven churches uh, or more, we don't really know for sure. That's that's pretty expensive, and 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 so that was that was what they they were doing. It was clear that she's serving in somewhat of a official capacity, if not simply just a letter reader and this um, you know financier. Okay, this is unusual, especially in such a male dominated Jewish. Church world. Uh, But it isn't the most surprising thing we see in this particular chapter. What we see is a list of Paul's co workers, and it's filled with all sorts of people. We have leaders, we've got slaves, we've got servants, we've got men, women, uh, Gentiles, Jews, all of which we're about to see are highly invested and workers alongside Paul in the church. So let's read through and I'll comment as we go. All right, here we go. Uh, Greet Priscilla. And Aquila, by the way, when you hear the word greet and you see this in this chapter, he's not just saying, say hi. He's saying the greeting is embrace, accept. He's, so he's telling these people to embrace and accept these people that he's about to name. It's, it's, it's this physical act of acceptance into their circle. I greet Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So these are two close co-workers of Paul. He's known them probably since Corinth. Uh, They have risked their lives for him. And and in this instance, he's probably saying they risked their lives by gathering these Christians, these believers in Jesus, together in Rome. It's still hostile. There's still some danger in meeting publicly in in this culture. Uh, But they also, too, have a congregation that meets at their house. Here we go. Uh, Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Literally, in the Greek, it's beautiful. In the Greek, this literally says, He is the first fruits of Asia for Christ. Isn't that great? Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Uh, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Mary is a Jewish name. So here we have Jewish. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles as they were in Christ before I was. This is the interesting verse. In some of your translations, you may have the name Junius. Well, in original texts, uh, this name was Junia, which is a feminine name. Uh, at some point... Some scribe in the 700s, maybe, probably said, well, uh, he probably read it and it said outstanding among the apostles. And it probably thought, oh, these can't be apostles because one of these are women. One of these people are women. It has to be a man here. Uh, so he probably added an S because you see the S's start during, if you're a history nerd, during the Byzantine period. You start seeing that S kind of coming in. Uh, problem is the word Junius doesn't appear anywhere, really, in Greek antiquity. Junius doesn't appear. Junia is all over the place, and that's a feminine name. Um, So I'm inferring here, as we all do when we read Scripture, but this is probably a husband and wife team, like Priscilla and Aquila. It's not far-fetched to think that. Uh, They're active co-workers with Paul. You know, they're even going to prison for their work. So they're doing something that's getting somebody's attention. And whether they're apostles or simply well-known among the apostles, it's still debated. Uh, here, here we go. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Uh, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Um, Paul doesn't really call all Christians co-workers. Only those who are serving alongside of him, specifically. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus might not be a Christian. But all the people who he owns, I guess that would be a household, kids, relatives, slaves, they are believers. Uh, Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Probably slaves of Narcissus. We don't really know if Narcissus was an actual believer. Um, Let's see, greet, here's some other words, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Perseus. Um, but, oh, by the way, Tryphena and Tryphosa are, are slave names. So Paul's telling the church, embrace them, accept them as well. Uh, greet my friend Perseus, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them very end 16 it says greet one another with a hold of kiss now many of these are slave names almost half the people listed are women some names are Jewish some are Gentile benefactors slaves meeting together talk about a demographic spread of people so thinking about all these people and I'm, I'm kind of rushing through this but just think about what potential issues could have been raised when such different types of people gathered together. Now imagine benefactors, people who had money, sitting side by side with slaves on the same pew. Did they have pews back then? I don't know. Probably more of a homey atmosphere. Imagine them sitting side by side together. Maybe imagine the slave just coming in from a, a long day's work, and he smells like it. What happened when they went outside and saw each other? Did they still greet each other as if they were brothers? Did that have to be secretive? Imagine the differences between beliefs and education and superstition. All these types of people met together at the table of the Lord. So how did those backgrounds impact the conversations that they had together? I mean, imagine the bias, the prejudice, the racism that they they just grew up with. I mean, that's present even in our culture, all those different types of beliefs. And to top it all off, Jewish believers were returning to these house churches that looked a lot different than the ones that they left. I mean, talk about uncomfortable. Now imagine how uncomfortable some of us are whenever I mention that Phoebe might have been a deacon or Junia might have been an apostle. You know how uncomfortable that is? That's how uncomfortable they were. We don't know. Uncomfortable, tense, walking in the same room with people you may not really know or trust. Now how do you talk to such people? I mean, one little thing could set you off. People could walk out. People who disagree on so many issues have very little to practically nothing in common. Now, some say that Romans is this document that tells us how to become a believer in Jesus, and I think that that's true. But I also think Paul is doing more than this because if you really read through this entire argument that he makes, he's... He's alluding to this question. Really, we have to have a response to what God has done? Our response is really really what matters here. There is, there is this question that he's saying, what kind of church are you going are, are to be? It's interesting because this is the only letter that Paul writes where he does not address it to the church at. He addresses it um, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. He's not addressing it to the church there. It's almost as if he knows there is a collection of believers who might not fully be a unified church yet. That's fascinating to me. What kind of church are you going to be? The very beginning of his letter, he is giving all these people the opportunity to to embrace and accept one another because they have this common thread of connection. There's this common thread through all of them, but despite their differences, and that is the love of God. They are all the beloved of God, and it is this love. Expressed through Christ that is their bond their commonality the so one thing that's going to allow them to worship side by side with people they may not know or even agree with people who make them uncomfortable it's the thread that allows them to work side by side with people who they may not n- believe are really qualified to even be there why did God choose you a common thread that's going to help them find ways to bring light into the darkest parts of their culture. It's the one thread that allows them to embrace the people that, have, that they found themselves alongside, no matter who they are or what eccentricities they may possess. I know sometimes in the past, people have come into the church doors, no matter what church it is, and people look at them with a suspective eye and almost they don't really want them to be here because they know what they've done, and it's just a little too much. But I'm telling you, when you have somebody come in and accept Christ and, and follow Him fully with such a dark past, that means that light that they have now is going to light up that dark, dark place. Paul lights up, um, he lays out this argument here, and it begs us to ask ourselves, what is our thread of commonality? And I don't think it's changed. It's still the love of God. And if this is our common thread, then how does that shape us? What kind of church are we going to be? I mean, there are going to be, in, are be people, as it says in verses 17 through 20 of chapter 16, who are going to be divisive, who are going to put stumbling blocks in our way, who are going to teach things that aren't rooted in love for God. They're not rooted in love for others. And Paul says, stay away from them. Cling to the commonality we all share. Paul asks the reader to consider what kind of church you're going to be. What kind of a Christian are you going to be? What kind of believer are you going to be? Are we going to be focused on making sure we adhere to the rules above everything else? Tradition at all costs? Are we going to allow our church to be judgmental, condemning? Are we going to be a church that boasts in our accomplishments? The church that expects the weak to pull themselves up by their bootstraps so they can finally get to where we are? What kind of church are we going to be? Because we are the beloved of God. That's our commonality. That's our thread. This is the question that begs a response. So throughout this next six weeks, we're going to be rooting into the text. So I'm asking you to read it for yourself. Read it. Make notes. We're going to hear the argument that Paul makes for being a church that accepts and loves imperfect people. A church that is also accepting and loving of one another and embraces one another. This is one of the questions we've been asking ourselves in our vision process since last summer. Your leaders are asking this question. And so today, really, I just wanted to leave you with this statement that that you are the beloved of God. No matter what you've done or who you think you are or or how much you don't really think you need God or how much you don't think God could actually love you for what you've done, you are the beloved of God. He loved you. He died for you even though you were still a sinner. Even even when, as as has been said today, while you were His enemy, How will you embrace this gospel, this good news? How will you embrace one another? My hope is that before you leave today, you take this to heart and you embrace somebody, accept them, see them, and let them know that they too are the beloved of God. Isn't this what church does? Isn't this what the body of Christ should be doing? letting everyone who comes into our circle know that they are valued, that they matter. Sometimes I'm really good at that. Sometimes I am not. But I encourage you. Ask that question. What kind of church do you want to be? As the praise team comes up and as we prepare to sing, I want you to receive this blessing. This is specifically from Paul in 15 5 and 6. God tells the reader, he's just been through this long argument, laying out some very pivotal life gospel love lessons. And he says this, he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind, I love this, and one voice you may glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I love this church and I love what God is doing through you. And I'm excited to share some of some of the things that we're about to share because I think, I think it will embolden us it will give us courage and it might just allow us the opportunities to see people just a little bit differently so that they will know they too are loved by God Heavenly Father thank you for this day hear our hearts I pray that you would hear our voices Lord I pray that you would consider our greeting one another our embracing of one another today as an honor to you as worship so that we can continue the gospel that Paul is telling us so, so deeply about in this, in this letter. Lord, thank you for our friends across the world who are also meeting today, whether in peace or war. Thank you for the faith that encourages us. And thank you for counting us people who you, who you love so dearly and desperately. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, our elders and our wives are around the room. I'll be down front. We'd love to talk with you.